You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Markets Podcast on the FSM Network. Here's your guy, Benny Heiss. It is the Fantasy Sports Markets Podcast here on the FSM Network. What is good, everybody? Ben Heisler with you. We have one final NFL game of the season, and I suppose it's not really the season, but it's the postseason, coming up on Sunday. And for logistical reasons, you can't necessarily refer to it as the actual name um, for contest purposes. So I will say the big game in Atlanta is coming up in a few days. And so we will be joined by... Uh, the outstanding writer over at Pro Football Weekly, Eric Adhome, friend of the show, uh, to break down all the different matchups, the top bets. We'll go through some of our favorites together uh, and also give you a sense of maybe a couple of guys that we like as far as potential targets for when you're filling out your FSM daily fantasy roster for that big game in Atlanta. And the reason we bring that up is because this contest at FSM is 100% free. It is only limited to the first 50 people that enter. It's a single entry contest. So highly recommend that you guys go ahead and make your lineup today before it fills up because it is a chance to win money for free. It is $50 to first place uh, and FSM promo money. And then if you happen to select a perfect roster, uh, all the way down from the quarterbacks to running backs, wide receiver, tight end, kicker, and defense. And again, because only two teams are playing, the opportunity to do so is substantially higher than if you were to be playing during the regular season or even the postseason. So if you get a perfect roster, it's 500 bucks and you didn't spend a dime. So there's not a lot of places that are doing a better contest uh, with as good of an opportunity to win as here over on fantasysportsmarkets.com. So remember to head over there and give it a try. As for our other contest, it is a reminder that we have NBA, NHL, and college basketball contest each and every day over on FSM with Guaranteed to Run Contest. And thanks to our friendship and our opportunities with thequanedge.com, in case you guys missed it, Stefano Vaccarino, uh, their outstanding NBA product manager, joined us yesterday. We love having the guys from the Quant Edge join the podcast. If you use promo code QUANTEDGE, Q-U-A-N-T-E-D-G-E, when you go to fantasysportsmarkets.com, you can do it when you register, you can do it when you're checking your promo balance, and you enter in that code, that will get you $5 on us with no deposit required. It's a great way to start playing over on FSM, get used to the format. If you've never played daily fantasy without salary caps before, it's the perfect way to give it a try and you don't have to spend a dime. And then once you get used to it and you start winning a little bit, then it's a perfect place to play. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, at FSM Contest, if you'd like to follow me, you can do so at Benny Heiss. We are also available across all the major platforms, including Instagram at Fantasy Sports Markets and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fantasy Sports Markets and a lot of those places where you can find our live streaming content. We also have a YouTube channel as well uh, for the FSM network. All right. He's one of our favorite guys. Always love talking NFL and anything football and sometimes not even football uh, with the outstanding pro football weekly writer. Uh, you give him a follow on Twitter at Eric underscore at home and make sure you guys are subscribed over at profootballweekly.com. What's up, man? Oh, man, I, as I was telling you off air, it's been a little bit of a rough week with weather, travel, my favorite college football team getting hammered with NCAA infractions. I just had to cram a sandwich down my throat before talking to you. But this makes me feel better. I like talking football. I like being on the show with you. So 
We're good, man. I'm all, all, right. I'm all straight. Well, if there's any way that I can help overturn whatever these <laughs> sanctions are at Missouri and, and make it about, at least I, I do know this. Uh, I do know that where you're living was a hundred degrees colder than Miami yesterday. Like Ugh. everything just doesn't make sense right now. It was colder in Chicago than it was in Antarctica. I know. Oh, I know. Yeah. There was, I found one city in Russia that apparently has the worst pollution <laughs> in the world too, that, that was actually colder than we were. So I, I guess we don't have it that bad, but on Monday it's going to be like 53 here. Right. So there's about an 80 degree difference. I, I've stopped trying to figure it out, man. I've I've been trying to like fix my lawn since becoming a homeowner back in in okay. last December, and so I got to think, all right, this is going to be the fall that I sort of do all the work and and lay the foundation, and now it's everything from snow to like leaves that are just packed into the ground that I didn't get rid of. I it's an unmitigated disaster, but yep. that's not why you called. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about the the big game because there's only so many ways that we can say Super Bowl on, on these type of shows. The big game in Atlanta. Uh, but I'm actually curious, just sort of on a personal standpoint, like what what do you do for your Super Bowls? Are you typically working? Are you in the office? Are you watching with friends? Do you like to say, no, it's the biggest damn game of the year. Leave me alone. <laughs> Let me watch the game in peace. What do you do? Yeah, it depends on the year. But the last couple of years, uh, this year notwithstanding, I've usually covered the week of the game leading up to the game. And then I fly home Saturday and watch from home. Usually it comes down to, you know, credentials or hotel rooms or some other constraint that doesn't allow me to stay through Monday, which is just fine because, you know, covering the, the Super Bowl, it, it's worth doing. It's fun. However, it's a long night. And, you know, you're getting started around 9 p.m. You've talked to all these players. It's, it's a really tough one. So I don't mind being there and then writing about it. Now, I didn't go down to Atlanta this year. I'm back home in Chicago, as I mentioned. So uh, it's been a little different. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I do have some ribs that I'll plan on slow cooking throughout the day. So I'll, I'll try to dive in those about uh, 20, 30 minutes before kickoff just to kind of carry me through a little bit. But that's about the extent of my celebration. My wife likes me to make guacamole for her, too. So that's <laughs> – that's my other duty. That's nice. I'm also the designated guacamole yes. task man in the house as well. Are, are you like watching the commercials at, at full attention as well, or is it just all about the game for you? It is because usually during commercial breaks, they're a little longer too. I'm writing. So I'm like, you know, I have a game story that I usually have print, you know, ready to go, hopefully at the buzzer, unless there's a Russell Wilson, uh, Malcolm uh, Butler type finish <laughs> right. or something. Takes a little longer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sort of furiously writing and rewriting and editing and cutting and pasting. And it's like the next day I have to see the I have to read everybody else's reviews on those or go watch them myself because I, I never catch them during the game. If you're looking ahead as far as sort of what if either of these team win, which obviously inevitably one of them will realize that's a terrible question as I ask it. But <laughs> when, when you're if you're if you're picturing sort of the, the story besides the game recap, what do you think the narrative is that surrounds each of these two teams if they win that game? Yeah, I mean, I think if let's just say the Rams win and if they do so in impressive fashion, you know, all these teams who who hired acolytes of of, of uh, Sean McVay have to think yes okay now yeah, that's what we want this is the goal of course it sets the bar higher for him but I think they feel better about their choices and you're talking about a 33 year old head coach beating a guy who's twice his age who's been in the league you know much longer than he's been alive so I mean that that's that's probably one of the storylines and maybe to a lesser degree you know golf beating Brady or something like that but 
Yeah, I mean, now the Patriots would be five and four in the in the Super Bowls, and I don't like to count losses against the team, but you know that's almost half wins, half losses. You have to sort of put it in a certain light. But if the Patriots win, I mean, you know, we 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 just continue the narrative of saying like, is this the greatest dynasty in sports history yeah. in any era? I think you have to at least start that and. Brady gets another feather in his cap, and so does Belichick and, and the rest of the crew. I, I just kind of get that feeling that it's already been established, and so when people are trying to come up with stories over the course of the week for the Patriots, yeah. like, how much more can you really differ from where that conversation is? To me, if, if anything, I know that a lot of conversation is about Gronk likely having this be his final game, uh, regardless of whether they win or lose. Certainly if they win, I can't imagine Rob Gronkowski playing another down for any team, let alone uh, New England anymore, but... Um, like, why wouldn't Brady and Belichick and Gronk, it, what more do they have to prove other than the fact that they just like what they do? Yeah, I mean, unless they fear, you know, unless Bill Belichick looks at Bear Bryant and says, you know, the minute that guy walked away from football, two months later he was dead. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's a legitimate... I don't think he had, like, a 35-year-old, like, wife or girlfriend or whatever Belichick has <laughs> that certainly tries to keep him young. Keep them young. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. She was at media day. Apparently she's sort of oh, yeah. around, but yeah, I mean, right. Different eras, different situations. I, I think, you know, for, for Belichick, I think there's, he, he's a history guy. And I think he still knows that people don't like his team. They doubt, they doubt the credentials of the team because of the whiff of scandal kind of floating around them. You know, for Brady, it's it's almost like you know when you when you saw that that little online documentary, what was it, uh, Tom versus Time? I mean, that's kind of become a metaphor for his career in a sense. Like, I think he wants to sort of rewrite the rules about what a quarterback can and can't do in this game, and in, to a degree, he's already done it. If you if it was up to you, who would you have preferred to see play in this game? Do you like the matchup as currently constructed? Would you have liked to have seen the Chiefs or or maybe the Saints? How would you have constructed this ultimate Super Bowl matchup? I think, you know, from a media standpoint, again, I don't have a re- – I grew up in New England. People always say, oh, you're anti-Patriots. I'm like, no, man. I went to tons of Patriots games when yeah. I was a kid. I don't root for them or against them now. I'm just a – I'm an observer. But I think from a media standpoint, it would be fun to get some new faces in there in terms of storytelling and, you know, see how Patrick Mahomes would handle the media, see how he'd perform on a big stage, you know, a second act for Drew Brees. I'm not saying I was, I was hoping for that matchup, but it would have been interesting and maybe a little bit – sexier but i think we're gonna get a, a great football game i really I, I just have a feeling this is gonna be a, a very good game as most most Super bowls are these days and most patriots Super bowls are these days i'm really glad you brought that up because that's sort of the underlying theme there's a lot of people that think that this is an opportunity where i think belichick is like 16 and 1 against teams that have never faced him before um, in these type of situations yeah um and i think the only team that ended up having that loss was the eagles last year for the Patriots. So a lot of people expect New England. I think 77% of the money is on the Patriots. But, man, the the Patriots play close Super Bowls, and they've done it consistently. Um, And especially with the amount of offensive firepower on the Rams, I kind of see it as they can get off to a big lead, and then the Patriots, they have the ability to just start chipping away. Uh, But I I think it'll be back and forth, and I think that sort of leads into a lot of the different ways that we're going to start to approach this game. I think the 2.5 is perfect here. Yeah, I mean, I when it, when it opened, I, I saw one place had it at Rams minus one, and I thought, gee, I think I thought it would be Patriots minus one, one and a half, yeah. and it's kind of crept up, and you've seen that kind of trend happen or whatever, but it didn't shoot up. I mean, it was more just that it was like people sort of realizing that 
you know, you give them two weeks last year, notwithstanding, you know, the two Giants games. First of all, that second Giants game, they didn't even deserve to be there. I thought they were, you know, about the sixth best team in football. Right. And I don't know how good the Giants were either. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they, they this is a pretty good football team. It's, it's maybe not a vintage, all-time great Patriots team, but the way they've played lately, yeah, and the way the Rams have corrected some of their issues from weeks 13 to 15, I, I just feel like what you said, which is, even if one team gets out to a two-score lead, I, I wouldn't give up on this game and assume that uh, the commercials are going to be the highlight. I think we're going to get something that goes into the fourth quarter tight and close and, and entertaining. So let's get into some of these different prop bets, and I want to start with the Super Bowl MVP for you. And I was going through the different history of this bet uh, and, of course, this you know this record. So in the history of the Super Bowl, you have 29 quarterbacks that have won MVP, 24 have won the rest. And interestingly enough, a linebacker has won it in two of the last five Super Bowls. And the last time a running back won the MVP, it was all the way with Terrell Davis in 1998. So I think it's easy to look at Brady. It's easy to look at Goff as the two high candidates, and they're going to be the two favorites on the board. But which non-quarterback would you consider taking if, if the right odds were presented to you? I, I think I, James White is somebody who I would really consider because – you know, he could catch 14 balls like he did. It was, I think that's the number he had against the Falcons. He had, I think, a 15-catch game in the playoffs as well. I mean, he's had some games where he's been their primary receiver. And being at the, the NFC Championship game, you know, watching linebackers like Corey Littleton get matched up with Alvin Kamara, I just thought it was an unfair matchup. It was just like the Saints were – I think he ended up with 11 for 98, and it probably could have been a little bit more than that. So the one thing that – they used to do it this way. We'll have to double check on this. Maybe you know, but I haven't been to a Super Bowl game in about four or five years, but they used to pass out the ballots like in the fourth quarter. So you'd end up writing in a vote for somebody who could, you know, theoretically fumble the game away in the final minutes or something like that. So they may do it a little differently, but I remember being there one year uh, where they just sort of handed out these ballots and you're going, oh, okay, the game's not over yet. So that's, I think, one of the reasons why the quarterbacks obviously get uh, a lot of those votes. And I think that's why Brady won it the first time as, as opposed right. to Antoine Smith or one of those guys. So, um, But, yeah, that would be the only – you know, it, it's hard for me to pick. I mean, Aaron Donald, obviously, you could picture him having a three-sack game. People know him, but – it's a tricky bet right there if you're not going with a QB. I think that's true. I think if there was one other one that I'd want to consider as a total long shot, and I was looking up the odds as you were talking, James White would be 20 to 1 uh, okay. to win the MVP. So, again, if you're if you're talking about a guy, especially with Donald coming through and Indomitian Sue in the middle, rushing, yep. there's plenty of opportunities to Brady to dump it off to James White, and he could go nuts. So I, I like that call a lot. I, I kind of like Kyle Van Noy. Like this dude, especially in that game against the Chiefs, was disruptive. He sacked yeah. Mahomes two times. I think he had a forced fumble as well. They like to move him, and they're really creative defensively with how they move him around the field. So if he gets involved early and makes a couple plays in the early part of the game, you're right. If if they're passing around the ballot, maybe Kyle Van Noy sneaks in, and he's 100-1. to Yeah, I mean, that's how Malcolm Smith won the award. I believe he was the MVP of that game when the that's Seahawks. Right. You know, he had that big, you know, the, the Broncos were about to come down and score, make it a close game before halftime. He makes the, the 
you know, the nail in the coffin play. So, yeah, Van Noy can play in coverage. He can rush the passer. He's pretty good against the run. So I, I like your thinking there. Uh, it was uh, Malcolm Smith and Von Miller were the two defensive players that have won that MVP to the last five years. All right, so let's get into the prop bets on the actual game itself, and we'll get into some of the you know ridiculous and goofy ones coming up in just a little bit. Uh, one that stood out to me um, was a very small number, and it was the total receiving yards for Patriots running back Sony Michelle at .5. To me, this feels like a screaming over. I know that he only has uh, one catch in two games, but if you're expecting an offensive battle and a back-and-forth game, at some point you want Michelle in the field and you don't want to just hand him the ball every time. You want to have some sort of deception. He can catch it. I can't imagine that if he doesn't have one catch, it doesn't go for more than a yard. Yeah, that's a great call. I heard somebody, one of the Patriots' offensive assistants, I don't know if it was McDaniels or somebody, talking about... Yeah, I mean, we haven't thrown a lot at him in the, in the receiving game. You know, we, we've tried to keep – he's got a heavy workload with the carries he gets, you know, 15 to 20 a game. And, you know, that number's been up around 25 to 30 in the postseason. So, okay, that makes sense, right? I think I think I saw a number where Michelle only had one catch since, like, week 12 or 13. You know, and that includes the postseason. So, yeah, I mean – and that's receiving yards, you said, right? Correct. So imagine if he caught a pass behind the line of scrimmage, gets taken down for a, a zero or a minus one. You know, you know, that, that's a tricky one, man. But you know what? Two weeks to prepare. You'd think they'd have at least one play where they would say, OK, we're going to we're going to surprise them and throw something at them. They haven't seen a screen to Sony where. where yeah. So I, I think that's a that's a pretty nice little uh, little little volley well, you play. Right, well, right interestingly there. enough, C.J. Anderson, I, I saw this and wrote this down. He has the same number of postseason catches as Sony Michelle. Uh, oh, wow. You have Michelle at only a half a yard, but Anderson is at three and a half. So I don't know whether or not just is more of a likelihood that Anderson's going to go forward on that play. But if you have the same amount, you might as well say, all right, I think this guy can get a yard. Yes. Just a yard. It's one yard. It's one yard. You should be able to get one yard even, you know, and I mean, although if you had Todd Gurley in the NFC Championship game, he, you know, he had those two passes thrown at him. I mean, he clunked both of them. <laughs> one got picked and he had zero. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fickle little bet right there. Yeah, but I mean, they all are. <laughs> Yes. Let's be honest. Uh, here's another one that caught my attention. This was Brandon Cooks. They set the total uh, on a lot of these different sites at 69 and a half receiving yards. I I'm leaning at the under here, and I found a really good stat from my buddy Elliot Christ, who's a great uh, fantasy analyst over at thequanedge.com. He wrote, prior to last week's game, Brandon Cooks had gone under 70 total yards in six straight games. The Patriots run more man coverage than anyone in the NFL, and Cooks has a 55% catch rate in man coverage versus 78% in zone. Factoring in Stephon Gilmore is likely going to be shadowing Cooks as well. I mean, yes, he can break one free, uh, but I imagine that's the guy that the Patriots want to take away the most in this game. And it's a guy they know too, right? From from you know having been on the Patriots last exactly. year, I'm sure the corners have... You know, good. I mean, look, I think Bill Belichick would have had a, a pretty good plan no matter what. But having had him on the roster for a full year and traded him away, clearly felt like there was, you know, there was some limitations to his game that he would know exactly how to play him, who to play on him, whether they need safety help. And I mean, isn't New England's defense approach always to take away their, you know, kind of the guy who scares you the most or the deep threat? Two weeks ago it was Tyreek Hill. That was, you know, it was I when I went on radio shows and said, well, they're going to limit Tyreek Hill's touches. I didn't know that he would limit him to one touch. Yeah, right. Know, whatever it was. So, 
you know, that's that's really, I think, absolutely the bet. You, Yeah, I last week was he great? Yes. And, and again, the Saints knew him, too. They had him the first three years of his career. So you can't. You know, you can't just say it's the, the, the knowledge or the revenge angle or whatever. I mean, I just – I think I'm with you here. I would feel very skittish about him going over in, in this situation. We talked about C.J. Anderson just a minute ago. His total rushing yards uh, right now on the on the board is at 49-and-a-half. Interestingly enough, and this is someone who has been legitimately awesome since he's had to come in and assume that Todd Gurley role and hasn't really been as active in the passing game as the way Gurley has been, but he's been a really productive running back and he surprised a lot of people. Interestingly enough, though, the last couple days when he's been doing his media appearances and laughing it up, he's basically said this is Todd Gurley's team. He's expecting big things from him when he plays that even if he doesn't get his number called at all, that's perfectly fine with him. And Gurley's also had another two weeks to rest and the other few weeks too, Eric, he hasn't been mentioned on the injury report at all. Now, maybe I'm looking a little bit too much into that, but I think this is going to be more of a Gurley game than a C.J. Anderson game, and I feel like that 49.5 might be a little bit too much. Or he's the greatest actor of all time, and that McVeigh's telling him, hey, keep talking up Gurley because we're <laughs> going to give you the ball. Right. I, I tend to think what you just said is more feasible. Uh, you know, I think the Rams' best chance is that this is the last game of the season, right? I mean, you, you want to try to use – as much of your best players as possible. I did find it interesting though, when, when, you know, the telecast for the, for the Cowboys Rams page or uh, playoff game was basically, I think it was Troy Aikman did that game. If I'm not mistaken, I think Aikman said, yeah, McVay kind of made it sound like it was a conditioning issue for Gurley. You know, he's been off three, four weeks. He's, you know, doesn't have his win the way that, you know, and then when we asked McVeigh after the game in New Orleans about it, hey, why did Todd only get four touches? Well, it was more of a game flow issue. And Todd's a phenomenal player. It, it felt like a little bit of a flimsy answer one week after having kind of a different rationale. Yeah. So it just it worries me a little bit that, that maybe this guy just can't put his foot in the ground and cut and go the way he did in amassing an incredible season. So that said – Anderson had 16 carries for what 44 last week too. So, I, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit more ambivalent about this bet, but I but I definitely see, you know, what what you're talking about with that angle there. Uh, moving on to another one, which is basically a toss up at this point, and I think it, deter- it goes into which team do you think is going to be ahead for most of the game. Uh, if you're going up between which kicker is going to score the most points between uh, Steven Gostowski and Greg Zerline, both of them. Uh, are at minus 120. Uh, I feel like I'm leaning Gostowski only because I expect the Patriots to to be up and to try and have a little bit more time of possession and the Rams to be a little bit more aggressive. But are you leaning either way here? I, I might lean Zerline in the sense that, you know, McVay's been a little bit cautious, you know, in some fourth down situations, That's some true. red zone spots, the couple playoff games. And Zerline with those two incredible kicks in the second half, I mean, that 57-yarder made it by with plenty of room to go. But now he's got this left foot injury. I don't know how serious it is. I suspect it's not that serious, yeah. but I don't know. I'm a little bit and, and Goskowski's had correct me if I'm wrong, he missed an extra point in the Falcons comeback last year. I think he missed a field goal last year as well. He's had kind of some odd yips in the Super Bowl, I believe. So don't you know, I don't want to put those may have just been bad snaps, bad holds. You know, I can't I can't recall those individually, but I, I do feel like the extra point he boffed against Atlanta was kind of a, God, he just shanked that thing. Yeah. So 
does that weigh in at all? I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I might go Zerline if I felt pretty comfortable that his left foot is is okay. So uh, different different sides of the coin here. I, I think, and I try, I'm trying to remember which side I might have seen it on because I didn't write it down. But if you're leaning in that direction, that might have me a little bit convinced to put something down on whether or not you expect any of these kickers to miss one. And I actually think uh, the Ooh. odds for missing either an extra point or a field goal in the Super Bowl were far better uh, than that of just all of them making it. So I think you get some some good money on that one. I'll have to check that out. That's what I'm going to look at. I might have to check that one all out. Right, I'll, yeah. I'll send that one over. I'll, I'll tweet it out. We'll find something. A couple more of the ones from the in-game, and then we'll fly through some of these outside-the-game prop bets. First quarter total, to me, really stood out because that was only 10 and a half. And I think that's almost I don't want I never want to say it's an easy over because it's the NFL and you have no idea what's going to be coming at you. But you have an opportunity with scripted plays for both sides, with really good offenses, with smart people calling these plays, uh, talented guys on the offensive side of the ball. I think both of these teams could score on their first possession. I also look at the the second and the fourth quarter total of 17 and a half. So there's an entire touchdown difference. To me, if you're getting this advantage to start things off with two really good play callers, you know, and I expect both of these teams to score on their first possession. I kind of like that over there, over 10 and a half in the first quarter. I do too. That's that's absolutely the logical way to go, I would think. But if you also look back in the regular season, these were both teams that didn't score tons in the first quarter compared to some of the other you know i think second quarter and fourth quarter i think both teams did very well in the postseason patriots played great first half defense you know the rams have given up some points and haven't been super prolific offensively the other thing that's crazy and i think the streak is still alive i believe it still happened after last year check me if i'm wrong this is eight Super Bowls the Patriots have been in. I don't think they've scored a first quarter point yet in any of them. I I honestly believe that that streak is still alive. But I mean, does history play in here? No. But why is that the case? Like, a, uh, you know, are they just slow playing things here? Are they tight? I have no <laughs> idea. It's one of the weirdest stats ever. But I do I do believe that exists. Well, now you now you've got me thinking. Now you got me really thinking about that. I'll have to look that up and see. Um, that's crazy. In, in all of their Super Bowl games, they've never yeah. scored in the first quarter. I, I'm almost positive here. I'm going to look this one up, but I I know that was alive coming into last year. But then now I have to. I'm as we talk here. I'm downloading the game book. But yeah, I mean, it was. They haven't scored a touchdown. Okay, so they scored th- a field goal in last year's. So I think they have a total of like six points in eight in nine uh, eight super bowls in the first quarter and they won five of them that's so, crazy yeah. all right that's... well you you got me thinking about that one a little bit more <laughs> i felt very confident going and thinking both these Darn. teams were likely to score with that small 10 and a half number but i appreciate the knowledge all right last one from the actual game will there be a successful two-point conversion um it's not necessarily whether i, I lean one way or another but again um i, I look at belichick i look at mcveigh uh, you're right about McVay, though. These last few games, he's gone a little bit more conservative in these types of situations. But I think the two-point conversion doesn't necessarily factor in there. I think it's purely based on a lot of the math and a lot of the numbers there. So I would take the yes, which pays out at plus 170, uh, as opposed to having to give up some more money if there's not going to be a successful two-point conversion. Again, to me, it comes into just being smart offensive minds calling right plays uh, with quarterbacks and players that can deliver for you. 
Absolutely. I, I would I would 100% take this. I mean, even with better odds, I don't even know that I would. I mean, I just feel like you're right about this. And going back to the kicker thing, I mean, let's say Guskowski misses an extra point like they did against Atlanta. That that made them go for two every single time after that, basically. So I, it, one little change like that can, can can alter the game or if there's, a, you know, a safety or something like that. I. You know, Belichick once talked about. Actually, it was it was in that "Do Your Job" part two that the documentary series. He said, "Had they scored first against Atlanta, their mm-hmm. plan was to go for two, just to change the game, just to throw a little different math at them, just to get them off balance." And you know, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened again, where they just decide, forget the extra point, we can live with the six if we miss. We're going to try to score eight here. And put a three thirty-three year old head coach on on alert early that it's going to be a long day. You know, I like that. So yeah, one hundred percent behind you on that bet. All right, let's go to some of the bets outside the game. We'll fly through these. This first one's from Bavada. You can really find it at any place that you're deciding to wager on the game. Uh, love people love to bet on how long the national anthem is going to take. And you have Gladys Knight singing it this year. Interestingly enough, the over under was set last year for Pink right at two minutes, and she hit oh. the under at a minute fifty three. The total this year is at a minute 47, and I feel like, based on the numbers, you have the over at minus 175 and the under at plus 135. I I think Gladys Knight's going to take her time with this thing. I I feel like I'm leaning over here, even though I have to give up a little bit. I am, too. And first of all, shame on whoever put the odds out about will Gladys Knight screw up the lyrics. Like, that's some serious ageism. This woman is a classic. This woman is an institution. How dare you besmirch her name? If it happens, I'll, I'll admit I'm wrong. So I'm with you on this one. That's a Pink's felt like a, you know, sort of a, a little bit of a drawn out version. But you'd be surprised how much six or seven seconds feels within the course of it. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think she will. She's going to own the stage. Right. That's that's an overbet. I, I would I would say that as well. And I even think from a couple years ago. Uh, those numbers were right around like two minutes and five seconds, two minutes and six seconds. So this just feels like a, a very short number, uh, yes. that minute 47. So I, I'm with you there on the over. Uh, this one is from BetDSI.com. Which former Georgia Bulldog will have more rushing yards? The favorite here is Sony Michelle at minus 149. And then you have Todd Gurley as the underdog at plus 110. I think he goes back into sort of the decision of whether you believe that it's going to be a Todd Gurley game for sure if he's 100% healthy and how much C.J. Anderson is going to play a role here. You know Michelle is going to get touches and carries. And especially, it's not total yards, it's rushing yards. So even at minus 149, Michelle feels like the better bet here. I agree. Yeah, I mean, we could find out after... Eight minutes into the game, you know what? Gurley's just not the same guy. They're rotating Anderson in. He's just, you know, and you'd feel dumb about taking Gurley because of reputation or because of what he did in the first 14 games of the season. So I think I think you have to do Michelle. And I think if Gurley ends up doing some damage, sure, part of that will be as a runner, but part of it will also be as a receiver too, if he's fully healthy. You know what I mean? So I could see him getting 125 yards from scrimmage, but half come from passing, half right. from rushing. I think I'm going Michelle on this one, even with, yeah, yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. All right, so here's a broadcast prop. Will Jim Nance or Tony Romo, this from BetDSI.com, will either of them mention the word underdog between kickoff to final whistle? 
Ugh. Here's the thing. CBS has made this whole unnecessary story about how they're going to not cover any part of the, the gambling angle from this game, despite the fact that they know everybody across the country is betting this game. I don't know why it continues to be taboo, especially as it continues to get uh, legalized across the country. Uh, but Jim Nance especially, maybe Romo accidentally sets it up by talking about the underdog uh if they say yes will either of them say the word underdog that's at minus 400 but if none of them mention it it's plus 300 based on this whole cbs mindset i kind of get the feeling that they're going to try and work their way around that word underdog so i think i'm willing to go ahead and take a chance here and get no at plus 300 here uh, I know. I that's a that's a great way of setting it up, and it's important because I think that the fact that CBS went out of their way to kind of say that this is how they're going to approach the game, unlike maybe the trend of what's happening uh, with gambling right. being legalized. And, and Jim Nance isn't the you know, the guy in the leather jacket smoking the cigarette outside saying I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. No, like they love Nance, and Nance will will follow this rule. The yeah. question is that the wild card here is Romo. It is, right? And I'm sure he's met, you know, he's a golfer. He's a sportsman. I'm sure he knows one or two guys like, bro, just slip it in. Just slip the word <laughs> underdog in. I'm hammering the yes. We got to get this for the family here. Daddy needs a new fur coat. Yeah. I, 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 I'm going to go yes here. I know betting 400 to win 100 isn't the greatest thing in the world, and, and but there's always – it's like kind of like betting the over, like there's always a chance, right? You know, so I, I could I could see it. This one is from Bavada. Will either kicker, and this is sort of the, the Cody Parkey bet, will either <laughs> kicker hit the upright or the crossbar on a missed field goal or extra point? You have yes at plus 350. And uh, again, you were talking about Steven Kostowski. I believe he hit the left upright. Okay. It was either last year or two years ago in the Super Bowl. So it has been done by one of the kickers over the last couple of years. No is at minus 600. It is very difficult to do, but it's also been a bizarre year for kickers. And nice. it would not surprise me one bit if it happened. So I might be willing to take that other chance to get and go with the plus 350. Yeah, that's a tempting one. I mean, what are the odds on this thing? You know, I remember being in the locker room afterward at the, at the Bears game when Parkey hit the four, you know, the four in the one game, not the playoff game. I didn't talk to him after the after that game. but and, and we were like, what are the odds that that could happen in a game? It surely has never happened before. But the odds of one hitting, I mean, oof. I, my 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 brain says no, but my my gut says that yeah, it's been just one of those years. Super Bowl's weird, things happen like this. So maybe I put a nickel on the yes. Fair enough. All right, here's the last one. Are you, are you familiar with the uh, the Fire Festival documentaries from oh, yeah. Netflix and Amazon? Okay, oh, so I've been all for it. Yes. <laughs> So Aren't there's there a, one, isn't there, wasn't there a second one done on there's this? There's two of them. There was one on, on, on Netflix. There was another yep. one on Hulu. I've only seen the, okay. the Netflix one and it was tremendous. So yep. Billy McFarlane, for those that are unfamiliar, go and watch these, these documentaries. But this was the guy that was behind this fire festival where all these models showed up and they basically made all these promises that it was going to be the music festival of the, of the century on this deserted island in the Caribbean and end up being a complete and total disaster. So the main guy that was sort of in charge of all this was a guy named Billy McFarlane, who's basically been scamming people over the last several years. So it's a great bet from bet DSI. It says, will Billy McFarlane from the fire festival be caught selling counterfeit tickets to the Super Bowl?" <laughs> yes. You can get yes at plus 2,500. If you oh. want to go ahead and just get the easy money, it is no at minus 10,000. Not great return on that one. No, yeah. not great. Not great, Bob. Uh, is So this man is not currently in prison. Is that correct? 
I believe he's not in prison at the moment. Has he been sentenced yet or something, or he's about to go into prison or whatever? Yeah, so if he's still walking the streets, I mean, the, that as you saw in the documentary, there's that, that one sort of clip at the end where they talk to a couple people who say, in 10 years, I bet Billy McFarlane's going to reinvent himself, and he's going to be doing something else. He'll be famous for this. Right. He'll I mean, would this not be the venture to get going on, or at least to get a little starter money going here? So I'm going to bet $1 on the S and hope that I can uh, you know, cash in on this improbable bet here. If, if they would have said, not the Super Bowl, but one of the Super Bowl parties – that you know, one of the that one of the big stars is going to be doing one of the players or or one of the musicians. Yep. Then I'd be all over it because those are sort of the stuff that you just can't get tickets for. Super Bowl, you know, that's actually something that I might be able to pull off. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering maybe if if this somehow works into the halftime act or something like that. I mean, we, we... <laughs> on the field. With okay. Maroon yeah. 5. Right. Does he does he hop on stage next to Big Boy and Adam Levine? <laughs> I don't know. You know. That, what are the odds on that? That would be fun. I can uh, try and do a little bit of investigative <laughs> research and uh, and can get back to you. Make sure you guys are following Eric on Twitter. He's an awesome follow and a great writer at Eric underscore at home. Uh, obviously, I know you guys are going to have a ton of Super Bowl coverage, but uh, what's next for you after the season is over? Is there going to be combine stuff? Uh, yeah. I imagine draft in the next few months. What do you have on your, on your docket? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of big in the draft uh, sphere here, and I was just down in Mobile, got, got a look at some of the players, got started on them, and I've been working on our draft magazine that comes out. Yes, there are still our print products in 2019, but um, we'll have an online subscription, too. It's really cheap, too. I mean, it gets all our scouting reports, all our features, everything that we do in the draft. So uh, pretty exciting. It, you know, I love the season. I miss the games, but I also do like talking draft stuff and getting to look at – you know, a couple hundred players that I'll really drill down on. So this is kind of a fun time and a little bit of a the perfect time for a gear change after uh, the rigors of a, of a long NFL season. Again, he's a great follow, a great writer. Make sure you guys are checking out his work over at ProFootballWeekly.com. You're the best, buddy. I appreciate your time. I know it's super busy for you. Hopefully it warms up, and uh, we'll do this again soon. I loved it, Ben. Thank you, dude. I appreciate it.